We are continuing our study tonight in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we want to continue the study and Solomon's quest to find the meaning of life. He observed that there is a consistency, as we've already studied, in the world and the nature of man that does not change from generation to generation. These things that we've studied thus far, the rivers and all the different things, are consistent through from generation to generation, uh, and he has proved those things. He also noted, as well, if you remember in his search, that he observed the worldly pursuits, that worldly pursuits are vanity. What do we mean by that? Vanity meaning empty. It's just a vapor. It's a grasping at or, or grasping for the wind, if you will. And just as we know, as we grasp for the wind, it's, we can't catch it, can we? We cannot lay hold on the wind. But with our lesson tonight, I want us to begin examining the various avenues of pursuit in greater detail. The way he went about it. Uh, the direction that he went, if you will, in search of the meaning of life. As our scripture is read just a moment ago, I'd like to go back through it again. And where he says there that I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove or test thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto, or one version may say, how to cheer my flesh with wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that uh, good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I want us to focus here on the thought of I will test you. There is something to be said about the concept of testing. And the King James using the word proving something. And it can actually be a good thing to do. Testing can help us determine if we are what we ought to be, and it also can strengthen us. You know, in the educational world today, as many are in our audience tonight who are part of that world, it's all about what? The data. It's all about the testing. It's all about what does the data show, and, and a lot of times that's the way a lot of people are moving in different parts or different uh, areas of vocations, but what does the data say? We hear statements often in our world that says, the data doesn't lie. If you want the truth, read the data. So testing provides that data, if you will, and in our sense tonight, it can prove to us 
or it can help us determine, testing or proving something, if we are what we ought to be. And if we use, just like in the educational world, if we use that data of whether the, the kids are low in this or they're high in this and they're low in this, if we use that data according to what we see, it can help strengthen those children, but also what we find in ourselves, it can strengthen us, can't it? But we have to believe in the data, they say. Or we have to trust the data. Um, I haven't seen a bigger push on data ever in the educational world in the 21 years uh, that I've been in that world. We've always had data, but it's a big push now. Read the data. Look at the data. Um, and see what it, what it says. But it can be used for good things. Consider the following. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, if you remember, and also this is recorded again in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, Abraham's faith was what? Tested, wasn't it? Abraham's faith was tested. It was put to the test. And it says there in 22 and verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or prove Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, he said, Behold, here I am. You remember the story, don't you? He said, But take now, behold. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac. We know the story, don't we? He was to take him and he was to sacrifice him. And Isaac was aware enough and cognitively uh, aware enough to say, Dad, where's the sacrifice? But Abraham was being tested and proved, wasn't he? And you remember the rest of the story as he was about to, as he had drawn the knife, was about to take his own son's life. God stayed his hand and he provided a ram in the bush for that sacrifice. In the book of Psalm, in verse 7 and verse 9, or chapter 7 and verse 9, notes that the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. God, a righteous God, the righteous God, <clears throat> tests the hearts and minds. You know, we are always tested, aren't we? We are always in positions that God allows our faith to be tested. Also in Proverbs 17 and verse 3, the same thought. God tests the hearts and the minds of his people. And I think the King James uses the word trieth the hearts there in Psalm 7 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, test yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21 says, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. So it's, it's a very important, the testing of things. And I believe Solomon has, has established that and, and will establish it even more as we continue on through, through this study. 
So we can say tonight that testing is good. Sometimes we think about, uh, we say, well, it makes it hard on us. Well, it does, but it helps us if we use it in the right way. In the book of James, in chapter 1 and verse 3, notice what it says. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith does what? Brings about patience, doesn't it? You know, sometimes I've asked myself through the years, and I know you have as well, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Trying to figure it out. What are you trying to teach me? I know that the trying and the testing of my faith and these difficult things and times, I'm looking for it. Lord, help me find it. But again, as I said this morning, we find it, but... Sometimes we don't like the results, do we? In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 7, the Bible says to us tonight, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, that's something precious, it says. The trying of our faith, we need to consider that as something precious. That we have stood the test of time, if you will. That we've stood the test that has been put before us. If you remember in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 1, we're called upon to test the spirits, whether they are of God. So however, when we think of testing our hearts understand that we do not have to put ourselves into unnecessary temptations or engage in sinful conduct. But as we study our text tonight, whether Solomon reached the point of sinful testing or not is unclear, but he did test and try, didn't he? Those things, he says, that mirth I will use to be able to do those things. And that leads us into the, uh, the next thought. He says, I will test you. And there in uh, number, uh, let's see, first part of the verse there, number one, he says, not only will I test you or prove thee, he says, I'm going to prove you with mirth. I will test you with mirth. Things to produce happiness and pleasure. Not necessarily sinful uh, or even sensual pleasures are we talking about here. But though they, they may be included in this testing that we're talking about. But anything that brings us pleasure. In the case of Solomon, he was examining worldly pleasures. Again, not necessarily sinful If you notice in chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. The reward from all of my labor, he says, you know, when we talk about Ecclesiastes here and Solomon searching, those, using those things, those pleasures of life, and that word there, mirth, meaning that, 
You see, the Bible and pleasure, the Bible has a lot to say about pleasure. And the word that it comes from is our English word, hedonism, which describes unrestrained pleasures. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about that. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Wars come as a result of desires for pleasure. A desire for pleasure. Wars come. Wars, wars come. Wars come because of our pleasure and our seeking of, of pleasure. Even in our own life, we see uh, these things come about. And it causes, uh, causes difficulty sometimes, don't they? But notice there in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 in James... And then also in verse 3, he says, You ask and receive not, because we ask amiss, that you may consume or spend it upon what? Your lust, or one version puts it, in your pleasures. So the Bible that talks about those unrestrained pleasures and wars that are there in the book of James comes uh, from those things. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust or your pleasures, that war in your members? In the book of Luke, in chapter 8, and verse 14, the pleasures of life said that it choked out the word, and it made one unproductive. And in the book of Titus, in chapter 3, in verse 3, it speaks of the former conduct of a Christian could include lust and pleasures. The Bible and pleasure. The 21st chapter of the book of Proverbs, verse 17, says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The pleasures of the world. He says, I will test you, Solomon says, with mirth. So not only does the Bible speak of the pleasures, but we, you know what? We live today in a society that is pleasure-driven. It's seen in our homes. How and where we spend our spare time. In sporting events, vacations, holidays. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but most pleasure has become very, very expensive. <laughs> I can remember just a few dollars would get you to the, even back in the 80s, uh, would get you to the movies. And uh, popcorn wasn't expensive as it is now. Uh, you go to the movies now, it ain't nothing for a family that's spent over $100 or more uh, on those things. But think of a hobby you're interested in, just for a moment. Think about that. Something you're interested in. How much have we spent on it? Now I want you to consider the price that we'll pay, that we pay sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, believe me, of going to a sporting event, a concert, amusement park, even the movies. But the amount that we spend sometimes on our hobby, hobbies are actually mind-blowing if you think about it. And the recreational industry knows this and they capitalize on it. 
But you notice there in Ecclesiastes, back in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 2 there, in verse 10, what did he say? And whatsoever my eyes have desired, I kept not from them. I withheld it not in my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this way was my portion of all my labor. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 4 speaks of the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If you remember what Moses said in Hebrews 11, and it was as it was recorded again, verse 25, that he uh, gave, gave away the pleasures of sin to be, to be called a God's child, to be in right relationship with God. But let's be reminded that as Solomon is speaking of these things, that pleasure within itself is not wrong. It's not wrong. In fact, God wants us to enjoy life. And Solomon points that out on later on in chapter 2 in verse 24 in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. You see, Solomon points out that those things are from the hand of God. We need to understand that there's a time for rest and a time for recreation. Those types of things can rejuvenate us. But pleasure should not be our ultimate goal, I think, is what Solomon is pushing here. Solomon, even in his quest, used moderation. But you know, as we've seen, I know I've seen it, it is possible that we become so pleasure-driven that God is choked out. And I think that's what we have to grasp from this concept and this part of Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. He had, and, and the other thing that he wants us to know here is the pleasures of this life will not give us real meaning. He says they are, they are vapor and they're empty. And I think that's important for us to understand. He also speaks in the passage tonight <clears throat> about laughter. He said, I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? Laughter is good medicine, isn't it? You ever notice how much better you feel when you laugh? When you laugh about something and, oh, you just get down, they say. You get down and laugh about it. Even your belly hurts. Uh, laughter is good, isn't it? Um, and it's needed at times. Proverbs 17 and verse 22 says, a merry heart does good. It's like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. Sometimes it's just taking a break from all the things around us. Sometimes it's a coping mechanism. Ecclesiastes, if you look on over in chapter 3 and verse 4, he tells us that there is a time to laugh. There is laughter and joy from good things. And we need to enjoy those things. We need to be a part of those things. 
You know, there is laughter and joy from good things, clean comedy. I don't know how many of you have been up uh, in the Pigeon Forge and went to the comedy barn, but they pride themselves in having clean comedy, don't they? And it's good to laugh. Funny things that happen in life. Someone who has the ability to cheer others up and bring smiles when he or she is around is good things for us. And again, while not directly related, it's no accident that we are called upon to rejoice. Philippians 4, verse 4, and how Paul thought of his brethren brought him joy. But you know, there's also laughter from evil things. You know, today, as I've studied this and thought about it, much of our entertainment today is filthy, isn't it? Most of the comedy or whatever. And you know what? That's what Hollywood wants. They want it that way, don't they? You know, there are companies that have attempted to remove filthy language and scenery from their movies, but only to be met by great resistance of those who are rating those movies and those types of things. Many of the comic, comics that uh, are about in the world today, filthiness and hateful comments, and it's almost like the filthier something is, the better that it is. And the sad part that it has been really accepted in the mainstream of society and at banquets and even conventions. But we ask the question tonight, is such really things that funny? Will it be funny when one stands before God? You know, there's nothing that I don't like any more than just a good joke. Something that's funny. Or an event that's funny. Uh, my Abigail and I had a funny event yesterday, and we laughed. I had tears in my eyes. There's a mouse living in our deer stand, and that's his home. Well, he decided to make his appearance just right at daylight yesterday. And I just had sold Abigail. I said, well, we're settled in, and it's about daylight. I said, it's nappy time. Time to take a nap. Well, she was laying her head over and coming over on me, but it wasn't that. She was saying, Daddy, he's in here. <laughs> I thought she was going to end up on top of my head. So then he runs up and runs out. Then he tries to run in again, and we go through the whole thing again. We both laughed and laughed. That was good. That was a good laugh. Uh, good for the soul, wouldn't it? But uh, there's also ex excess in laughter and joy. Um, you know, we, we need to consider, you know, uh, Proverbs 14 and verse 13. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19 a feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, because by it the heart is made better. If you remember in James 4 and verse 9, Laughter, let your laughter be turned to mourning. You see, when we are guilty of sin, we don't need to laugh, we need to repent. But in our text <clears throat> as well, we see tonight in verse 3 
He says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto, or how to cheer my flesh with wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. He speaks of wine there. We were talking about that on Wednesday night and uh, the use of alcohol. He sought to gratify his flesh with wine. You see, this is actually related to his mirth and laughter. Many in our society today, unfortunately, turn to alcohol, seeking pleasure and to feel good. And you think about how many seek pleasure in alcohol, thinking it will only be casual or social drinking, only to become addicted or damaged by such. We'll have more to say about that in correlation with our Wednesday night study, a kind of a ending part of that next Sunday night, Lord's willing. We'll address the folly of wine and our pursuit in the meaning of life. So Solomon's quest begins with wisdom. He talks about in our first few lessons about the wisdom, and then it turns to pleasure and laughter. In verse 3, we'll note that he did these things while guiding himself with wisdom. He didn't lose control. But notice the latter part of that verse. And I just read it just a moment ago again. Till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. Notice right there. He's looking for real meaning to life. It is not found, he says, in worldly pursuits. So I hope tonight we ask ourselves the question, what about us? Where are we seeking answers to these important questions in life? I want to ask you a seriously question tonight. Where do you find your happiness? I asked a question. I shared this with our faculty this last week in a meeting uh, where I presented to our faculty and to our staff as well. And I told the story of the practices we're using now, restorative practices in our behavior in the school systems and getting kids to talk. And I asked a question to the kids, where are you the most happiest? Who and where in this school makes you the happiest? And they mentioned several teachers and several rooms and those types of things. And, and I asked them, I said, where do you want to go or where do you want to be in the school to be the happiest or where, where, who makes you that a lot of them say, of course, Mr. Matthew or Miss whoever or whatever's room or whatever. And I said, well, why do you seek those things? And they said, because they make me happy and I know that they love me. You see, I think that's a great lesson for us. Where do we seek our happiness? Do we seek it in the hobbies that we, that we have? Of course, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But where are we the most happiest? You know, the Bible teaches that we as Christians should be the happiest people in the world. But I ask us tonight, are we? Are we really? 
Of course, we've got things in our life, I know, that come about that are tough to deal with. But you know, as for me, I guess my happiest place would be, I guess, right here in this pulpit. Right here at this church, being able to teach and preach. I guess second to that would be my home. I love being at home. As you get older, you love being at home more than you do on the road. But I love being at home when all of my children are there and their uh, significant others, as I keep saying. Because that makes me happy. I love to hear the laughter. I love to hear the conversations in those situations. But I love being in the Lord's church. That makes me happy more than anything else. Now, when I was younger and more immature, I, I laid hold on things that were of the world that made me, well, they made me so happy to, to be at a college football game watching Alabama play. That was the most important thing. Or sitting in a deer stand. That was the most important thing. Um, but as I've gotten older, and I want to call it matured, those things aren't near as important as what they used to be. None whatsoever. The important things now are my family and my church family and preaching the gospel. So again, where does your happiness lie? Where are you the most happiest? in your life. I hope that it is in the, the presence of God's people and being in the presence of God on our worship services and Bible study and those types of things. But maybe it hadn't been in your life. Maybe you have used things of the world to seek happiness and haven't used the things that God has given us. Solomon's on that quest, isn't it, to find the meaning of life and he's tested some things in our, in our lesson tonight, those worldly pleasures, things in the world that give us pleasure. So tonight, you may need to make things right in your life, to be happy again with God. Maybe you need to renew your relationship with him. Maybe you need to put on Christ in baptism. We, most in, we, we encourage you to do that, encourage you and and beg with you to change those things in your life if there need to be. Tonight, if there's any need that we can help you with, we encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing together tonight.